Good morning. It is so good to see you today. So good to be with you today. Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse number 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Alexander the Great ruled a lot less time than we generally remember. He ruled for 13 years over the Greek, the ancient Greek kingdom of Medonia. He was known as one of history's greatest military commanders. He developed the largest empire in the ancient world. One day, a young man, a boy, was brought before him who had been accused of stealing a horse. Now, Alexander was not just any king, but he was somebody that founded 20 cities that, that literally were named after him. And the day that this young man was brought before him, accused of stealing a horse, Alexander decided that because the boy was so young that he was going to take it easy on him. And just before he let the young man go, he asked him, boy, what's your name? And the young man replied, Alexander, sir. Now the king was angry. And so he yelled back, what is your name? The young man became very afraid because the king's attitude seemed to change so quickly. And the boy said, Alexander, sir. And the king grabbed the boy and threw him to the ground. And he pointed his finger at him and he said, young man, change your name or change your actions. You see, the name Alexander was very important to Alexander the Great. He wanted that young man to understand the importance of that name. And today I want us to understand the importance of the names of Jesus Christ. Today we're going to look at three more of those. And the first one I'm going to present as a pair of names. And that would be the that Jesus is the Savior and Messiah. This one unique name of Jesus, the name of Savior. We read about it in 1 John chapter 4, verse 14, where John says this, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. The word Savior, we, we use it from time to time. It may even be a word that you're familiar with, but it literally means deliverer and preserver. So I'd like to take a look at, at how Jesus got that name in the first place. We read in, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, 
that the angel of the Lord had appeared to Joseph in a dream. And here's what the angel says to Joseph. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. He will save his people from their sins. What do you mean? What are we talking about here? Jesus was was proclaimed by the angel that he would save, he would be a savior, and that he would save his people from their sins. What sins are we talking about? Maybe this is the first time that you've ever heard anything like this before. Maybe you haven't really realized that that Jesus' purpose was to come and to deliver the world, to save the world from their sin. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, the apostle Paul tells us that all have sinned and come short, fall short of the glory of God. The prophet Isaiah, some 750 years before Jesus ever came on the scene, described our sin, described our personal righteousness as being as filthy rags. And what Isaiah meant by that is so disgusting that I would struggle to even fully describe to you what he meant by filthy rags. That is our own personal righteousness because of sin. To make matters even worse, Paul says in Romans 6, 23, he said that the price, the wages for our sin is death. And the kind of death that he is talking about is not simply physical death, but he's talking about spiritual, eternal death. The thing that's difficult for us to understand is that no one is excluded from this. That we all have sinned, he said. That that the price for that sin, that all would experience death as a price, as wages for that sin. In other words, we need a savior. There's nothing that we can do to get around it. We need someone to deliver us from our sin. Someone to intervene. Someone to step in and to remove that sin from us. We need that. Someone to preserve us for all eternity. No one's excluded. Paul says again in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. No one is excluded. No one gets a free pass. All are in need of deliverance. Everyone needs a savior. Just simply today, walk, walk into Walmart, walk into Target, walk into a, a, a crowded place and look around and realize every single person that you see needs a savior. Why? Because all have sinned. No one is exempt. They've all sinned. They all need a deliverer from their sin. But wait, there's good news because in Romans 5, 8, Paul says this, that God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What Paul is saying is that God sent a savior into the world to provide forgiveness for our sin. 
Not as a, not as a blanket covering that, that, that automatically there's nothing that I have to do. Some people, they think that because they're born in America that they're Christians. They believe that there's forgiveness because of their nationality, the place that they were born. That's why they, they feel that they're, they're just they're automatically covered, that their sin is, is in effect. There's confusion. Is Jesus really the Savior? There are those that proclaim that there are other saviors in the world. There are those that say that there are other ways that we can get to God. So there's some confusion about it. But the Bible seeks to clear that confusion up for us because not only does it say that Jesus is our Savior, but the Bible also says that he is the Messiah. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 16, Jesus is referred to as the Messiah. In John chapter 1, verse 41, the second half of the verse, the disciples that Jesus was calling, they were speaking to their friends and saying, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. The Messiah refers to the anointed one of God. And there were specific requirements there may be many who, who claim to be the, the Messiah. In fact, a friend of mine that has traveled extensively in Israel has told me that there are uh, billboards throughout the city of Jerusalem that say, Messiah, reveal yourself now. There are those that proclaim to be the Messiah. There are those that are looking for the Messiah. But the scripture tells us who the Messiah is. And, and there are specific requirements to be the Messiah. The Bible says that he needs to be a Hebrew man. Born of the tribe of Judah. He needs to be born in the city of Bethlehem of a virgin mother. He will be a prophet like Moses. He will be a priest like Melchizedek. He will be a king like the son of David. The Bible is filled with prophecies about the Messiah. In fact, there's over 300 prophecies about the Messiah. And Dr. Don Stoner says this, that the mathematical possibility of one man fulfilling all 300 of those prophecies is equal to one to the 28th power. That's a lot of zeros. And yet Jesus has met those requirements as the Messiah. Not only is he our savior, he's the Messiah. He is the only one on the face of the earth who is qualified to be our savior. Secondly, the Bible calls him the resurrection and the life. During Jesus' life, he had many names. The bread of life, the good shepherd, the rose of Sharon, the light of the world, and the deliverer. But I think that the resurrection and the life is one of the names that I refer to most often. I have the opportunity to do a lot of funerals. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face the judgment. With the exception of Enoch and Elijah, until Jesus comes to take us home, every single person on this earth is destined to die. We will die. 
There's not a friend, there's not a relative that you have that has not, who has come before you that has not died, that has not passed away. It is part of life. But people try lots of ways to avoid death. Some of them are actually kind of silly. You see, people used to believe that if you slept with your head at the foot of the bed, that it was fatal. I don't know if that was really what they believed or something. They just told their children to get their kids to stop messing around in bed and to actually go to sleep. There are those that have said, don't ever sweep beneath a sick person's bed because if you do, you will die. I thought that all we needed to do to live longer is to eat right, to to take care of yourself, to exercise, and avoid Zumba at all costs. (laughs) If you don't understand that joke, see me later, I'll fill you in. We read in John chapter 11 that Jesus' friend Lazarus had died. Days earlier, Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick. Instead of rushing to him, Jesus waited where he was two more days. And so by the time that Jesus arrived in Bethany, his friend Lazarus had already been dead for four days. And so Jesus is having a conversation with Lazarus' sister Martha, and Jesus tells her, don't worry, your brother will rise again. And Martha, she agrees with Jesus, and she said yes at the resurrection at the last day. So this idea of the resurrection was not something that was uncommon for people to hold that that opinion, that theological position. It wasn't something that was totally unheard of. In fact, there was a real argument that was going on in Jesus' day between a group of people in Jewish society known as the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, so they were sad, you see. Today we have the same disagreement that takes place. The the exact same disagreement. Some people believe that there will be a resurrection and some people will tell you, you know, this life is it. There's nothing after this. There's simply non-existence. My guess is that every one of you can recall a conversation where a friend or a loved one told you something exactly like that. So this disagreement about the resurrection is still something that is happening today. Some people believe it while others do not. But that day, Jesus said to Martha, he said, I am the resurrection, John chapter 11, verse 25, and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And a moment later, in the next sentence, he asks her, do you believe this? What he was asking her is, do you have faith to believe that I am the resurrection, that I am the very source of life? 
He's asking her, do you have faith? Can you believe? Do you believe? And the interesting thing is he's asking her that before he raised Lazarus from the dead. She can't look back five minutes ago and say, well, yes, I believe because I saw you do it. He's telling, he's asking her this question before he himself raised from the dead three days after his crucifixion. He's asking her, do you have faith? Can you believe that indeed I am the resurrection and the life? You and I, we have the benefit of looking back and seeing those things. We read Paul's words from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Paul had a revelation from Jesus on the road to Damascus, and God showed him in that revelation that there will be a resurrection of the dead. The dead in Christ will rise. Their bodies will rise in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52, Paul says this, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. They were getting worried in the Corinthian church because there were followers of Christ that had begun to pass away. And they thought that Jesus was going to return before they died. And so here he's, he's encouraging them. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. What do you mean changed? Well, their bodies had already died. They had already perished. He's saying that we will be changed from perishable to imperishable. Often I hear people at funerals, they will simply say, you know, my loved one is in a better place. And I would love it if what they were doing is they were saying, I believe in Jesus. I believe in him, his salvation. I believe in his resurrection. But what they really may be saying is, you know, I believe that, that if I'm, I'm a good person, that I'm going to go to heaven. And I believe that my loved one was a good person. That when it's all over and life is done and you weigh their good works against their bad works, the scales come out that they did more good than they did bad. Therefore, God is going to take note of that and that's why he's going to let them into heaven and why one day they will be resurrected to new life. Let's not forget that Paul said, I read a moment ago in Romans that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, specifically eternal life. I'm so glad that, that when we accept Christ in our life, that, that we, we gain an abundant life, that there is great joy, there is great peace in this life that we live, but there is an eternal life after we die where we will be raised again, where we will live eternally with Jesus Christ and with God the Father. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 57, Paul says, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How can Jesus give us victory over death? In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18, it says of Jesus, I am the living one, I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. So through Jesus' resurrection, he has won the victory over death, over the grave. And you and I are not eyewitnesses, but we have the word of God that gives a testimony to us from those eyewitnesses. And so the question for you and I today is the same as the question Jesus asked Martha, do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? In other words, when you die, do you believe that Jesus has the power to raise those from the dead and to take them to be in heaven for all eternity. Thirdly, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In the Greek language, it's a little bit more expressive Jesus is saying, I, me, myself, I am the only one. I am the only way. Jesus didn't say that I am a way. I'll never forget a conversation I had with my grandfather. I was living in the city of Milwaukee, uh, in a suburb of Milwaukee. He lived in another suburb of Milwaukee, and he was picking his wife up from the hospital where she worked one day, and I ran into her in the lobby, and she said, she said, your grandpa Ivan is in the car right now. She said, let me go get him. And so we sat down and, and because his wife's sister was dying of cancer, I, was, I had an opportunity to, to chat with them and they were asking questions about heaven. And so as they asked these questions, my grandfather said, you know, the Bible talks about, about many, many rooms, many mansions, is he really saying there that there are many ways to God? What Jesus is saying here is, I am the only way. You say, well, man, that's, that's pretty harsh. He's the only way. Friends, God knew that you and I needed a savior and he sent the way. That word way, it means both the route and the vehicle. God has sent the route. Jesus is the route to the Father, but he's also the vehicle to the Father. And God sent him. Why? Because he knew that you and I needed a savior because he knew that we would be sinners. He knew that the wages of our sin would be death. And he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to be our sacrifice. Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. He is the one and only way to salvation. He's also called the truth. And today, friends, we know that truth is under assault in our culture today. But real truth does not change. 
It doesn't migrate. It doesn't adjust. Real truth doesn't bend to our desires. Hebrews 13.8 says of Jesus Christ, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Truth doesn't change due to our circumstances. What unchanging truth did Jesus bring regarding who he was? He says that all have sinned, all have fallen short, that the price for our sin is death. It's a price that we cannot afford And that because God loves us, he sent his son Jesus to die for us, to provide a ransom, a payment for our sin. The truth is that Jesus came to set us free from that sin. He came to be our deliverer. His whole purpose was for life and for freedom. In fact, in John 10, 10, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. There is no other way to receive eternal life. So let me ask you, what do these names of Jesus mean to you? Really, they determine what we, what we believe about them determines whether or not we believe. In Romans 10, 19, or 9, Paul says this, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved we can't add Jesus to any other ways these names that we're talking about they identify who Jesus is so let me ask you this question today is he your savior is he your messiah do you believe that he is the resurrection and the life do you believe that he is the way the truth and the life As I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of opportunities that I get to do funerals, and I don't know those people. I don't necessarily know their family. I'm happy if I know one person that's there that day. But those funerals go two ways. One of those ways is that that person, by their life, was evidently a follower of Jesus Christ, and it's well known. And so when we talk about this, we're able to say that Jesus is that person's Savior. But if that person lived a life apart from God, and I don't know them, I simply say that Jesus is the Savior. Because I don't know their heart, I don't judge their heart. But the Bible says that there is a day, there's a moment, Hebrews 9, 27, where we will stand before God in judgment. And I believe that the question that he will ask is, what did you do with my son Jesus? Did you believe that he was the way, the truth, and the life? Do you believe that he's the resurrection and the life? I want you to stand with me this morning. In just a moment, we're going to sing together. And we're going we're gonna to turn it around and we're going to be upbeat this morning. But before we do that, I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to ask you two questions. One question is this. Are you ready? Are you prepared to stand before God? It's going to happen to all of us should the Lord tarry. Are you ready to stand before him? Are you ready to give an answer? What did you do with Jesus? 
And if you feel like you're not ready, I want today to be a day when you're absolutely ready and prepared that you know, that you know, that you know, that you're ready to meet Jesus. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if, if you say, you know what, Pastor, I, I don't know that I, I am ready. I don't know that I'm prepared and I want to be ready. And I realize that what I believe about Jesus makes the difference on whether or not I'm prepared. And so today, I want to make sure that I know that Jesus is my Savior. If that's you, I just want you to slip your hand up. Say, man, I want to make sure that I'm ready. Yes, yes, yes. Yep, you can put them down. Thank you. Maybe you've never in your entire life, you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior. You've never thought about this before. Maybe you've never even thought about heaven or hell or eternity. But today, you've been challenged by the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God, and you say, man, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to make that decision to follow Christ. I'm ready because I, I, I realize that what I believe about Jesus has an eternal impact. If that's you, I want to know who you are. I want to pray with you. If you just slip your hand up so that I could pray with you, I would love that today. You might have never prayed that prayer before. You might have never had those thoughts before. But today, there's something in your heart that says, I need Jesus. Just slip your hand up so that I can pray with you. Yes, you can put it down. Father, I thank you that you are moving today by the power of your Holy Spirit. I thank you, God, that today that you are still moving in the hearts of men, that you are still challenging them through your Holy Spirit to respond to your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent into the world to die for our sins. God, I thank you, and I praise you today. I'm just going to invite all of us to pray this prayer together with me out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your Son. I believe you sent Jesus into the world to die for my sin. And today I declare, I want to be ready to stand before you and so I ask you that your son Jesus would come into my life to be my savior, to be my Messiah, to be the resurrection and the life, to be the way, the truth, and the life. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I thank you today that all of heaven rejoices when just one person accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior, all of heaven rejoices. Come on, let's put our hands together. Let's thank God for what he's doing. <laughs> Hallelujah.